Hi everyone, welcome to Harvest. My name is Julie. I am one of the pastors here in Harvest and we are so glad to have you here with us this morning. I have a couple of announcements for you before we hear from Brian today. First of all, in whatever platform you're watching, if you're on YouTube or Facebook, there are a whole bunch of links in the video description. One of those is to our digital communication card. If this is your first time visiting or if you've been um, watching for several months and just haven't said hello yet, we would love to have you fill that out. Let us know um, who you are. Let us know how we can be praying for you. And for each one of those that's filled out, we donate $5 in your name to Monroe Middle School and their crisis fund. We partner with Monroe Middle School and um, all that they are doing to serve families in the community during this time. And so we would love to be able to do that. If you have been at Harvest for a while, we would still love you to fill that out. It lets us know how we can be praying for you, lets us know, um, gives you a chance to let us know what's going on in your lives. We um, really do read through those and pray over those, and we just love to hear from you. Also in those comments, or in the description, is a link to giving online. And if you are a guest, again, this is not for you. We are just so glad that you are here today and just want you to um, enjoy the service. But if you consider Harvest your home, we would um, encourage you to uh, make use of online giving. If you need envelopes mailed to you, we can take care of that too. Just let us know on the communication card. And thank you so much for your um, faithful giving during this time. We have um, so appreciated seeing how faithful and generous you have been. There are a couple of other links in the description for you to know. Um, most of them having to do with Easter. We are so excited that next weekend is Easter weekend. And we, you know, if you've been around here for a while, that the egg hunt is our biggest outreach of the year. And this year it is going virtual. We are, um, we have an app that we are allowing families to sign up for and we'll give them the link to that. And then they have a whole bunch of options of things that they can do to earn points during the week next, uh, starting tomorrow actually. Uh, some of it's like dyeing Easter eggs and sending in a picture or putting on your best Easter bonnet, finding uh, something that looks like palm branches and waving it around. Uh, finding a phone booth in the Eugene Springfield area and taking a picture there. There's just a whole wide variety of things that families can do on this photo scavenger hunt. And then on Saturday the 3rd, each um, child will be able to stop by the church and we have a special Easter treat for them. We also have um, we had rented bounce houses last year and obviously we didn't have the egg hunt. So the rental company has given us gift certificates that we are able to give out. So we have three gift certificates that we will be giving out for a bounce house rental. One for the team with the most points and two that we're just drawing from everyone who participates. So that should be a really fun, fun time. We encourage you to um, share that with your family and friends. Let them know that they can participate. Uh, the link to register for that so that we know who to send the app to is on um, in the comments, as well as there's also a link for Easter service. If you would like to join us in person, we have three services on Easter Sunday, and we will also be online here. Online, um, we would love to see you online too. So whether it's online or in person, um, you can 
join us for that. If you do want to be in person, we would ask that you would please um, RSVP for that. And so the link, those are open early. So the link is there. You can RSVP for that right now for any of the three services. And we will have um, kids ministry for the la last two services on Easter Sunday. And then I'm super excited to say that as of the 11th, our kids ministry will be fully open. We've been running um, a little bit just younger kids, but we are going to open fully on the 11th and we are excited about that. We have missed seeing everybody. Um, we will still continue to have the videos posted online for the kids and we'll still mail um, packets home. So whether you are in line, online or in person, there is something for you. We really uh, think that's important to be able to do. So again, thank you so much for joining us. And I want to know as we get ready to listen to Brian to see, make sure you guys are all listening. Would you put in the comment, what is your favorite Easter candy? I know some of you like peeps, some of you like those really gross Cadbury eggs with the chocolate and the gooey stuff inside. Um, so just share with us, what is your favorite Easter candy? That way we know you're listening and you are ready to hear from Brian. All right, so will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that, that in all our days, in all our times, in all our circumstances, that our hope is rooted in you. And Jesus, we ask today that you would remind us of the hope that we have and how powerful your hope really is. And Jesus, as we worship you, as we study your word, Jesus, we ask that... that you would root hope deep within our souls and that we would know how powerful and how strong it is to have hope rooted deeply in you. Jesus, we worship you now. We surrender ourselves. We ask you to speak to our souls. We pray in Jesus' name, in your name. Amen. Amen. So we've been in a series called Stronger, and we've been talking about how to be strengthened in the Lord, and today we're going to conclude that. I'm going to take us uh, to a different spot in Scripture. If you have a Bible, you might open it with me to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Romans 8 is one of the great chapters of the Bible, and not to say they're not all great, because they all are. And they're all inspired, and they're all equally inspired. But there are certain chapters of the Bible that, if you think about it, really speak and move your soul deeply. For you, that might be John 3, or it might be the 23rd Psalm. It might be Philippians 4. There are a lot of passages and a lot of chapters in the Bible that are so powerful and so strong. And I believe for many of us, Romans chapter 8 would be one of those chapters. So we're going to study it today. And here's what I want to set us up with. If my hope in this life, if my hope in this world is rooted and related to what happens in this earth and what happens in this world, if, if my hope is rooted in the events of the day, then what you and I will constantly experience is a hope that comes and a hope that goes, right? And a hope that comes and a hope that goes. And it'll be there one day and it'll disappear the next. Like, like David Copperfield with the Statue of Liberty back in the day, that it's there one minute and it's gone 
the next. If you want a hope rooted, a hope that will never disappear, a hope that will not disappoint, if you want a hope that doesn't come and go and come and go, then really what you need is a hope that is not rooted in the events of the day or the events of this world. You need a hope rooted in a kingdom not of this world, specifically in a king not of this world. To understand who Jesus really is and to understand the life that Jesus wants to give us, to understand the good news of the gospel and how good the good news really is, we have to start with us because we're the reason he came. And so today... I want to start with the really bad news. I want to start with our mess. It's kind of an odd place to start, but if you want to understand all that Jesus is talking about in Scripture and all that Romans 8 is talking about, then we have to talk about our, our mess, our life of difficulty, our life of sin. I would pick it up in Romans chapter 7, actually, and listen to these words. Paul wrote this. He said, We know... That the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. I, For what I want to do, I do not do, but I hate what I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that it is, that is in my sinful nature, For I have a desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. And for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law at sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then... I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, I'm a slave to the law of sin. That's the tough news. It's it's the doctrine of original sin that, that since Adam, the human race, has existed in a condition of sinfulness, fallenness, and brokenness. And I think we need to be very clear about what we believe about our problem. And the doctrine of original sin does not mean that non-Christians are not capable of good thoughts or kind thoughts or acts or generous thoughts. And it does not mean that every Christian is morally superior to every non-Christian. Far be it. We can all name someone who's a Christ follower yet isn't very nice. And we can probably all name someone who isn't a Christ follower but is But the point of original sin is that we are all broken, fallen, sinful creatures. 
And so I wanna give us very quickly two truths about our mess. Number one, sin affects all of us. We've talked about this before. No human being gets a pass when it comes to sin. When I brought my kids home from the hospital when they were born, these little bundles of joy and wonder, it doesn't take long to realize that they're as self-oriented as every other human being. G.K. Chesterton once wrote that original sin is the one doctrine of the church that can be empirically proved. That it's obvious and open everywhere. Just turn on the news or social media. It's evident. As humanity, we are broken and we all know this and we don't like to admit it. But if we look at ourselves, we know it. If we look at our kids, we know it. We're sick. We're weak. We're fragile. It's not just a bad choice here or a bad choice there. It's not just a few bad addictions. It's a state of my heart. And it's simply not a behavior I can just change because we've all tried to just change. So scripture is full of images to warn us that sin is missing the mark. It's falling short. It's leaving the path. It's straying from the fold. It's a hard heart and a stiff neck. It's blind eyes and deaf ears. It's loose tongues and violent hands. It's a beast crouching at the door. It's the seductress whispering, to you to betray all that is good. Sin promises everything and offers nothing. And sin above all else is death. Death of character, of virtue, of truth, of community, of soul, of real life. And we're not going to be able to fix it because the reality is, number two, that my sin affects every part of me. It's not just isolated to particular acts like lying or cheating, but sin affects my entire nature. And even the things that I want to stay pure still get tainted. I can stand up to teach God's word and still have my mind, have thoughts that are about me, that are about what people think of me, that are... It's so easy and so quick to return to that self-orientation of thinking. And so how do we correct the problem? Well, we try lots of things in our culture. We try education. We try more opportunities. We think if we just give communities more resources, that if we would just do more to help others, that if we could shield all of our growing up years and comfort all of us and take away every offense, then somehow, some way, humanity would stop being broken. But none of that ever works. And that is not to say we should not do good in our communities or good in our world, because we should. But it is to say that the problem runs much deeper. It works like this. When your kids were little, did you ever discover a large mess that they had made? Maybe they're doing an art project, or maybe they got all the toys out of the toy box to find the one that was really on top that they wanted to play with. Or, or maybe they were just, um, you know, worked their way into the fridge when you weren't paying attention. And you say, hey, we're going to have to clean up this mess. And so you say to your kids, when I come back, I expect this mess to be cleaned up. And maybe it was something out of the fridge or maybe it was something from art. And so, so you come back and what you notice is that the kids have moved on, that the stuff has been cleaned 
But what you also notice is that in many ways the mess has just been wiped around. And so you had them clean it up, but when they moved on, you in turn had to clean up the mess. Now don't get hard on your kids. I did it for my kids, you did it for your kids, but your parents did it for you too. And if you don't have kids yet, if you're young and you are the kid and you're watching this and you think, you know what? My parents never had to clean up my mess. I'd think again. But I can promise you this, one day your kids will make a mess and you'll tell them to clean it up and, well, quite honestly, you'll need to clean it up for them too. When I was a kid, my parents would tell me to clean my room, which in my mind meant take the stuff that was visible everywhere and make it not visible anymore. And so, you know, every so often, after so many months, mom and dad would say, Brian, your room is a complete mess. It's time to clean it up. And I'd spend a long time, you know, cleaning my room and particularly feeling pretty overwhelmed because I couldn't figure out where to hide the mess. And so I would shove things into my closet and I would shove things under my dresser and my bed was an absolute wreck underneath because I was just hiding the mess, not cleaning the mess. Lo and behold, every once in a while I'd go away to camp in a summer or I'd, I'd go to youth camp or I'd go to kids camp or I'd, I'd go to grandma's house for a few days or a week or something like that and I would come home to discover that my mess had been unmessed. My heart is a lot like that, that I can try to clean up my mess all I want, but what I really end up doing is just hiding things so that others don't see them. But my sin affects every part of me, and the reality is I need a power beyond myself. I need someone beyond myself. I need something beyond myself to clean my mess from the inside out. And so he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord, Romans 7.25, because that's where the mess was cleaned. That's who cleaned the mess. And salvation does not come from me cleaning my own mess, but rather from the Lord. And so there's great hope because there's great news in Jesus Christ. There's great hope in the good news of Jesus Christ. And there's great hope and hope for my soul because of what Jesus has done for me. So let me just give this for you. That's the one thing. There's great hope in the good news about Jesus. And let me give you a definition of hope really quickly. Hope is just confident expectation. In this case, hope is confident expectation that Jesus is at work in my life, in my circumstances, in my relationships, and in my world. And the good news is that Jesus offers me a new and different kind of life, a life with freedom and confidence. Where Jesus comes not only into my life, but pervades my life as much as that sin pervades my life. And Jesus offers me new life, abundant life, eternal life. 
And so the really good news, I'm going to give you six aspects of it out of Romans chapter 8. The really good news is that Jesus offers me, number one, life without condemnation. Read Romans 8.1 with me. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. He uses the phrase here, in Christ. It's used by Paul over and over and over, over a hundred times in his writings. And it simply means to be placed in Christ. Now, I want you to notice it doesn't say that Jesus offers me a life where I never sin again, where I make my own mistakes, a life where I will never fail It doesn't say that those who are in Christ don't sin. In fact, I believe Romans 7 is about Paul in Christ and he knew that wrestling match of not knowing what he wanted to do and then knowing what he wanted to do but then not doing the good he wanted to do but doing the very thing he didn't want to do. And so this offers us a life of forgiveness, a life without condemnation. And if you're a Christ follower and you're feeling constant condemnation, that's not from Jesus. It's from the enemy who wants to blame and accuse because conviction will draw me to Christ who gives me life with no condemnation. Number two, Jesus offers me life without isolation. Life without isolation. I'm going to pick up, skip a few verses and pick up in verse 8. In verse 8, he says, those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. That is, when I am in the realm of my sinful nature and when my sinful nature is all I've got. You, however, he says, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. When we are in Christ, the Spirit of God does live in us. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ... They do not belong to Christ. I want you to notice that he calls the Spirit here, the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ. This affirms the full divinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Verse 10, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He... (laughs) who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, you, if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. And the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, rather... The spirit you received brought about by your adoption to sonship, to daughtership, to childship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And the spirit himself testifies with our spirit if we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. He is saying to us that we are not alone. That Jesus offers me life without isolation. 
And in this pandemic where we have all been so isolated for so long and where we long to not be alone, we have the great hope of knowing that as believers in Christ, we are not alone. We are never alone. That there is nowhere in this earth I can go, and for that matter, if I leave this earth on a spaceship, on a rocket, there is nowhere I can go that God is not And that's good news because it means when I feel alone, I am not alone. Jesus offers me life without isolation. Number three, Jesus offers me life without devastation. Jesus offers me life without devastation. Keep reading. Verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation, he's talking about the earth here, the world here. The creation was, subject, was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated, uh, liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. If you want to understand the whole context of that, you've got to read Genesis 3, where the world, the earth, was literally broken in our sin. And you've got to read the end of the book of Revelation and all of Revelation where there is a new heaven and a new earth and everything is restored to what God intended. He says, verse 22, we know that the whole earth, the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship the redemption of our bodies for in this hope we were saved but hope that is seen is no hope at all who hopes for what they already have but if we hope for what we do not yet have we wait for it patiently even in the moment where we do not know what to pray and what to hope for. And even in the moment where all we can do is groan, he's gone from the, the creation's groaning, the pains of this world, to talking about our groaning. Even when we don't know what to do and all we can do is groan, the Spirit is there with us, praying on our behalf. Keep reading verse 26 in the same way. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. And we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. This just reminds me that Jesus offers me life without total devastation. Now to be sure, we are on occasion devastated by news that happens in this world But I am never beyond hope because I am never beyond the Spirit. And even when in my soul all I can do is ache, the Spirit of Christ is interceding on my behalf. Think about what hope there is in that. It's powerful. It's powerful. Number four, Jesus offers me life. Not only without condemnation, without isolation, without devastation, but number four, Jesus offers me life without desperation. Life without desperation. I love what it says as we keep reading in verse 28. 
29, 30. He says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's great news. That in all things, in your circumstances right now, today, whatever they are, good or bad or otherwise, God is at work. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. He is reminding us that God is at work from start to finish in a process that is outside of anything we would ever initiate. That God is at work in our lives doing something that is so, so powerful. And he is reminding us, in essence, that our circumstances are never without hope. Thoreau once said that people live lives of quiet desperation, that we are overwhelmed, discouraged, defeated as humanity. But if I am in Christ, I can know that God is always at work, that God is always working for my good, that God always finishes what he starts. Isn't that what this is saying? And that I am not alone because the Spirit in all of that is interceding on my behalf. You don't even realize that's going on when you feel overwhelmed. But this reminds me that I have life without desperation because I don't have life without Christ. I do have life with Christ. I am in Christ. And if I am feeling that sense of devastation and desperation, that is not from Christ. Number five, Jesus offers me life without intimidation. That is to say, a life where I do not have to fear, where I don't have to be afraid. Keep reading verse 31. He says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Wow. God is for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Is it Christ Jesus? This isn't a question, but he's asking, is it Christ Jesus who died? More than that, who was raised to life, who is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us? Is that who would condemn us? No, because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How powerful is that? That I don't have to live in fear because I can know that God, that Christ, that his spirit is for me, for you. So next time you look around at the world and you just think, I just see so much devastation, so much desperation, so much condemnation, so much isolation, I want you to separate from all of that. 
And I want you to recognize that your hope is not rooted in any of those places. That rather, when you look around, what you see and what you should see is God. And when you see God, that's the majority. It doesn't matter what else there is. Now, is the news of the day tough? It always is. But the fact is that God is here. And God is for you. You know, fear is a universal problem, and psychologists have tabulated hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kinds of fears. I wonder which one is eating you up. Is it rejection? Is it criticism? Is it fear of the future? Is the fear of not mattering? Is it the fear of missing out? Is it the fear of bankruptcy or illness or maybe never being able to hold your own child? Is it the fear of death or the fear of dying? If you're a Christ follower... I simply want you to realize that Jesus is with you and that you are not going through any of those experiences or any of those things you might look at and possibly potentially fear. You are not going through them alone. Now, I do want not, by any means, want to pretend that this is some sort of magic where you just sprinkle it a little bit of it on and you just get to pretend that there's never any pain in fact as a piece of you that might think i'm doing preacher talk today did i just say that out loud that i'm just overstating the case because you have experienced intimidation and you have experienced desperation and devastation and isolation and condemnation you have felt those things before so how can i possibly say that jesus offers us life without those things and i would just tell you again those things are not from christ but yes they are a part of this world and i will admit that And that's why I say our hope should not be, shall not be, rooted in the things of this world. But rather, our hope should be rooted in Christ and how powerful his love really is. So I want to take you to one more place, number six. And I want to read the rest of the chapter for you. Jesus offers me life without separation. Life without separation. Verse 35 Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No one is what he is shouting. Nothing is what he is emphasizing. Who or what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship? Shall persecution or famine? Shall nakedness or danger or sword? He's saying even if the worst happens, that we lose our life for our faith, shall it separate us from the love of Christ? And the way he has it worded, the answer is no way, Jose. No way. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Verse 37 
Verse 38, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers. Notice the language here. He's talking about the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms that we've been studying in our stronger series. That neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, good or bad there, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow! There is always hope. And hope is powerful. And hope is life altering. And hope begins to color everything else in my life so that I see the rest of life through the color of hope. And that's why I say I can have a life without condemnation, without separation, without isolation, without desperation, without devastation. Because nothing will ever make God stop loving you. And you say, yeah, but I'm a sinner. And Paul would say, yeah, but Romans 7, so am I. Nothing can ever sever my relationship to God. If you've invited Jesus Christ into your life, not only will he never leave you, but you are permanently in Christ and his grip on your life is secure. Someone has written that you have never lived a day, a minute, a second when God didn't love you. You may have hidden in shame from God like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, but God still loves you. You may have deserted him like the disciples when they fled when Jesus was arrested, but God still loves you. You may have denied him like Peter who, (laughs) when they asked him about his relationship with Jesus, just flat out denied that he knew him, but God still loves you. You may have doubted him like Thomas, but God still loves you. Do you see the pattern here? In all of it, through thick and thin, good times and bad, God still loves you. You never leave his mind. You never leave his thoughts. You never leave his sight. He sees the worst in you and he loves you anyhow. Jeremiah 31 verse 3, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. When you sit at the bedside of a loved one who is racked with pain and disease, God still loves you. When you sit at the graveside after losing one who has touched your heart in your life, God still loves you. When you weep because your financial burdens seem too heavy to bear, God still loves you. When you see your family torn apart, when your marriage is heading in the wrong direction, God still loves you. And when your hearts ache because of a great sin you've committed and you feel that God could never forgive you, God still loves you. When you ache with the deepest aches that this earth would ever offer, God still loves you. God could never love you any more than he already does, and God could never love you any less than he already has. You can't get any more of God's love because God is love. We think God will love us more if we cuss less or drink less or sin less. We think God will love me more if I pray more, if I study my Bible more, if I attend church more, if I'm better somehow. And while these things might be an indicator of my love for God, they don't impact or change God's love for me or you one bit. He says we are more than conquerors. It's powerful. Is there a mess in life? Sure there is. But that mess can't take away the love of Christ that was exhibited on that cross 
when he hung there for my sins, when they buried him in the borrowed grave, when he died the death that was mine. And because he came back from death, so did everything else, including hope. Hope. You know, Easter is it's next week. Do you have the hope? Because the hope's rooted there, not in the things of this world. So I want to pray for you today. I was in with two prayers. First is a prayer of salvation. The second is a prayer of discipleship or a prayer of application for those of us who are Christians to apply this to our lives. Can I pray for salvation for you? In fact, it's not me praying for you, really. It's you praying with me because in the end, you need to ask this of Jesus. And if you need salvation today, it is free to you, costly to him in that cross, on that cross, but free to you. Would you receive it? You pray just like this, dear Jesus, I know that I'm a mess and I know I can't clean it up. I'm sorry for trying to just hide it. I'm sorry for the wrongs that I do. In fact, I know I am wrong. So Jesus, please forgive me. And please forgive my sins. Jesus, please take over my life and make me yours. Love me with an everlasting love. Jesus, be my God. Be my Savior. Be my hope. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer just now, Jesus has come to live in you. He has forgiven everything you have ever done that needs forgiveness. That's powerful. And man, would I love to celebrate with that with you. Would you let me know? You can email me. I'm B-R-I-A-N at harvestchurcheugene.com. I would love to hear from you. Just say, hey, I prayed that prayer, or hey, I became a Christian for the first time. I'd love to talk with you about what it means to be a believer in Jesus, about what it means to be baptized, what it means to be a part of a church. There's all kinds of things we'd love to talk about, what it means to be a part of the family of God. But most of all, I'd just like to celebrate with you. If you prayed a prayer like that years or decades ago, but you want this to be fresh in your soul, then maybe as a prayer of discipleship, you too would pray along with me and pray just like this. Dear Jesus, I am deeply grateful for my salvation. And so help me to stay that way. Jesus, as we've talked about before, please don't let the good news be old news in my life, but keep it fresh. And so Jesus, thank you that my hope is in you. And when I am overwhelmed with this world and the pains of this world, remind me that this world is not all I was made for. And thank you, Jesus, that you offer me life without condemnation, life without isolation, life without devastation, life without desperation. 
Thank you, Jesus, that I have life without intimidation and life without separation. Help me to live and walk and do all I do from the perspective of hope. Please, Jesus, I pray in your name. Amen. Amen. There is great hope, friends. And that hope, it's not rooted in this world. It's rooted in Christ Jesus. And that's powerful. It's powerful. I hope you're living in that hope. I, have you, I hope you have that hope. I can't wait to see you on Easter, whether you're celebrating Easter with us online. Online is at 9 a.m. on Easter Sunday. Or you're celebrating with us in person. Our in-person gatherings on Easter Sunday are at 8 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 11 a.m. Remember, RSVPs are needed for that. We expect those spaces to fill up fairly fast. No matter what, we are celebrating all that Jesus has done for us. Remember, friends, there's hope because you are loved and nothing can separate you from the love that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I love you. We'll see you soon.